Hi, welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. My name is Jillian, and we're so glad you're joining us. Today, Cheryl Broderson continues through our series, Life in His Name, with a message entitled, Jesus, the Wonder of Christmas. We all have expectations of wonder during the Christmas season, whether it be from decorations, lights, music, movies, gifts, or traditions. In fact, we go to great lengths to capture the essence of wonder, don't we? What is it that we are truly trying to capture, this feeling that has eluded us? Wonder, this deep down knowing, return as we consider the son who was given, the child who was born, and the one who is called Wonderful Counselor. Grab your Bible, your writing utensils, and notebooks, and jot down all the things that stand out to you today. If you'd like to watch more messages from this series, visit our teaching page at cccm.com. So, have you ever been filled with wonder? I think about how Mary was filled with wonder. Can you imagine being a poor, underprivileged young woman in an occupied nation, oppressed, engaged, thinking your, wife was, your life was taking one trajectory, when all of a sudden an angel, radiant, glorious, is standing in your little stone house, and you're, no wonder she was just like, what in the world is this? And though she was afraid, at the same time, she was filled with wonder. She was filled with wonder at his word, because he told her, you are highly favored. I'm here. I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I've been sent by God to you because you are highly favored. And God has a plan for your life. And it begins as he overshadows you. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Jesus, the Savior, will be placed in your womb. And you will give birth to the Savior of the world, God Most High, amazing. Have you ever been overcome by wonder? I remember a time being at Green Valley, and Brian and I found some old beach chairs. And we sat out on the deck. It was winter. It was winter camp for, I believe it was either high school or junior high. And we got these blankets, and we had our ski jackets, our beanies on, blankets, and we reclined in the beach chairs and just stared up at the sky, filled with stars. Never seen that many stars in all my life. And all of a sudden, I felt my smallness. I think that's part of wonder. When you feel your smallness, and you feel that there's someone and something so great that is beyond you, and at the same time, all around you. And we were filled with wonder, especially at the God who created each star, put the light in them, and called them out by name. I think of a child you know, the wonderful thing about children is that they are filled with wonder. I teach the six-year-olds in Sunday school. It is so fun. But last week, someone came in and said, 
okay, guys, there's no Santa. And some of the kids were like, what? What? And I had this little girl, Bailey, and she stood up. She's like, she's right. But there are elves. But you know, that, that wonder of Christmas, the wonder of, you know, presence and the mystery, it's so easy to move a child to wonder. As a child, I remember I loved Christmas and I loved Christmas trees. And when I was little, up till the time I was seven, we had a Christmas tradition. We would get the tree on Christmas Eve. Now, I didn't know that my dad did that because they went half price. I just figured that was part of our tradition. And our trees, I will say, always, because we got the leftover. What was left, they always looked a little bit like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. And my mother would get out a ruler. My mother was an absolute perfectionist. And she would measure where each ornament went. We weren't allowed to help with the Christmas tree, but you could watch. And then we would all go to bed, and my dad would set up the steam train that he had gotten from his mom and dad. And we weren't allowed to come out for Christmas for the cinnamon rolls, for the hot apple cider that my dad made, or for the Christmas tree until we heard the whistle of the train. Oh, it was glorious. I mean, I was up from one in the morning just waiting for that whistle, just knowing it was going to come. And then I would come out and we would sit around and eat cinnamon rolls. And my dad would tell the Christmas story. And then the summer of 1967, my father preached against Christmas trees. <laughs> he read this book that I have since found out was not reliable called The Two Babylons. And he got up and preached against Christmas trees. Well, you know what it did to the church? It made them go covert covertly buying their Christmas trees. I think they bought them in Anaheim so they wouldn't run into my father. <laughs> and I remember just crying and crying throughout the whole Advent season that we were not going to have a Christmas tree. Well, my sister's boyfriend thought I was crying because my father couldn't afford it. So bless his heart, he bought me a 10-foot tree <laughs> and brought it over. Now, my mom and dad weren't quite sure what to do with the Christmas tree because dad had preached against it, but this was a gift and it was free. <laughs> so they set it up downstairs and they had to set it up in such a way, um, in this, just this one corner where it could just have enough room to be as tall as it wanted to be. And my mom made my dad get up on the ladder to put the Christmas ornaments on. <laughs> But I remembered that my brother Chuck had some friends that were all part of Campus Crusade, and they felt like banishing a Christmas tree was too legalistic, and they wanted Chuck to stay in grace, because he was known for grace. And so they wanted to bring Chuck Smith back to grace about Christmas trees. So about three weeks or two weeks after Christmas, when you know how people put all their trees out on the sidewalk to be taken to the bonfire? Well, these resourceful young men decided to collect them all, all. And I remember waking up in the morning, looking out my window and seeing a forest in my front yard. 
The forest was not only in my front yard, and these were all used Christmas trees. Some flocked, some not flocked. And they, they filled my whole front yard. They were all over our porch, all over my parents' cars, going out into the street, and even on top of our roof. And I, as a seven-year-old, was filled with wonder. It was not the attitude of my father, but it was the attitude that I held. We expect wonder at Christmas. And we all, including stores and the media and the general public, go to great lengths to capture the wonder, don't we? We do decorations that we put up only at Christmas time, both traditional and new, lights and light displays, music and songs, Hallmark movies, gifts, traditions, certain things that our parents did or that we started with our own children, food, especially the family recipes. Our Christmas would not be Christmas without my grandma's cinnamon rolls. We have festivities like parties and games and plays and luncheons and Christmas coffees. We have attitudes that we try to hold even when people take our parking place that we've been waiting for. We have stories that we tell only at Christmas and gatherings because somehow if we are not with others, we feel like we might miss the wonder. But what is it we're trying to capture or recapture that has eluded us? It's that overwhelming sense of awe. It's that experience that I mentioned earlier of feeling so small, our own smallness, but being part and parcel of something so great. It's to be filled to the brim with awe. It is something utterly beautiful and beyond ourselves. It is something so thoroughly enjoyable that you never want it to end. It's a mystery. It's an expectation of something so, so great. That is why no matter how hard we try, as adults, we always seem to come short of the wonder. In fact, I wonder huh, if we've lost the ability to be filled with awe and wonder, or especially lasting wonder. We might get it for a moment, maybe a minute, and after that, we're always searching for it again. And I think, perhaps, this is because wonder is not an emotion that we can conjure up. It's not something we can create with lights and perfect decorations. It's not a tradition that we can follow. And it's not something that we can craft and then consume. And it's not something we can buy or wrap, or give to someone else. Wonder is a person. Wonder 
is the Son of God who was given, the child that was born, because it's his name, his nature, that alone is wonderful counselor. How else can you regard someone who left the treasury, the accolades, the prestige and perfection of heaven to experience poverty, rejection, pain, oppression, the drudgery of carpentry, so he might experience our life, so he might say with authority, I know, I feel, I see. How else would you regard someone who sought to share his vast wealth, his inheritance, his favor with God, with anyone and everyone who would come to him? Someone who blessed children, drew them to himself, and placed a high value on their lives and their innocence. Someone who listened to each person he met, including the lowly, the sickly, the needy, the sinner, the broken, the eccentric, the scoffer, the cynic, the rejected, the aged, that's my favorite, the discriminated against, the oppressed, and the oppressor. He listened, and he was even doubled over with compassion when he saw them. How else would you regard someone who freely shared his counsel, wisdom, knowledge, experience with anyone who would listen? Someone who willingly associated with the disenfranchised, the impoverished, the exiled, the lost, the sinner. Someone who used his power, his great power, to heal the sick, to relieve suffering, to deliver the tormented, to feed the hungry and restore the maimed. Someone who had authority over wind and waves and all of nature, yet never, ever exploited it or used it to vaunt himself. I think about those movies that they're always making about God. Oh, God. And when they do it, whether it's George Burns or someone else who played it, they're always... Jim something. They're always exploitive. They're always using it like, what can I do to others? Jesus had the greatest power, the greatest authority. Wind and waves obeyed him. But he never exploited this power or this authority. He always used it for the good for the best to save and to seek the lost. How else would you speak of someone who drew all the evil, all the suffering, all the sin, all the brutality, all the ugliness of life onto himself in order to destroy its power over humanity? That he took it that he felt it, that he experienced suffering and pain, especially since he could have exempted himself because of his righteousness, because of his position, and yet instead he chose to draw it all on himself, 
that he might save humanity. How would you regard someone who paid the great debt of all the collected evil of mankind with his own life? Wouldn't you call such a person wonderful? Wouldn't you want to know such a wonderful person? Wouldn't you want to be close to such a wonderful person? Wouldn't you want to receive the counsel of such a wonderful person? We've become jaded by Christmas, and we've lost the wonder because we've elevated the way and ways we celebrate the wonder of Christmas above the one who is the wonder in Christmas and of Christmas. You know, I, I think about how we try to get our decorations and our lights just so perfect, and, you know, you're, you're trying to do it, and your kids or your neighbor comes up and says, you got a light out, and you're like, I'm trying to celebrate Christmas. You know, or maybe you have a Christmas like ours where my mommy had to work, so my sister decorated all the presents with chocolate bells, and our dog Sherman came in and ate all the chocolate and then realized that chocolate is not good for dogs and expressed that on top of our presents. By the time my brothers got in a Christmas tree around our co uh, got in a fight around our covert Christmas tree, my dad got called out on a on a call, and my brothers were knocking all my mom's decorations off the tree as they just fists going around the tree. They were on each side of it. You see, we've lost the wonder because we make the decorations, we make the presence, we make all of those things the purpose of Christmas. But you see, all these things, the lights, the decorations, they are meant to be our way of worship, our way of telling others about the true wonder of Christmas. Someone says, I like your lights. Oh, this is nothing compared to the light of the world who came. Oh, I like this music. Oh, this is nothing compared to the music, the accolades of heaven over Jesus and all he's done. It is meant to be our touchstone to talk and express the true wonder of Christmas. We become too preoccupied with the way we worship rather than the one we worship. And in doing so, we lose the wonder. So how? How can we get the wonder back? Well, it returns as we consider, receive anew the son who was given, the child who was born, and the one who is called Wonderful Counselor. I bought this book years ago in England, and it's called um, The Wonder of God's Word. It was written sometime before 1914, before they even put the publishing date in. And the only reason I know it was written before 1914 is there's a dedication to a young girl that it's being given to named Olivia, and she was born in 1914. But I have a quote that I want to use from that book that I just love. And I'm praying that as you hear it, 
perhaps the wonder will begin to return to your heart. It reads, I cannot attempt to tell you all the names of Jesus found in the Bible, but I will give you a list of some of them. And as I mention the different names, I want you all to listen. Jesus is called Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord our righteousness, God, the mighty God, the everlasting God, God blessed forever, God manifest in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the great God and Savior, the highest, the Son of God, his only begotten Son, the Almighty, creator of all things, upholder of all things, Alpha and Omega, author and finisher of our faith, the life, eternal life, the word of God, the word made flesh, image of the invisible God, the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of the person of God, the wisdom of God, the angel of the Lord's presence, the root and offspring of David, the righteous branch, the vine, the bread of life, the rose of Sharon, the lamb of God, the lamb without blemish, the lamb in the midst of the throne, the bridegroom, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the the flock, the rock, the great high priest, the mediator, the propitiation, the sacrifice, the chief cornerstone, the builder, the savior of the world, the light, the Messiah, the captain of our salvation, the lion of the tribe of Judah, king of kings, Lord of lords, prince of peace, the resurrection, the truth, the way, the righteous judge, the wonderful counselor. His name shall be called Wonderful. The name of Jesus is Wonderful because of its many meanings and the love connected with it. Mary, we're told in Luke 2.19, treasured these things in her heart. Imagine the treasury of Mary's heart. What did she store up? She stored up the word of an angel, the visitation of an angel. She stored up the prophecy of Elizabeth. She stored up the joy. She stored up the testimony of shepherds and of wise men. If you would ask Mary about her life, out would pour the treasury of Jesus, of all that surrounded Jesus. The son that would be given, the child of the highest, the one who would be very great, the one who would sit on the throne of David. But Mary's not alone because God has come to each of us, not through an angel, but through his Holy Spirit. And he has told each of us that we are highly favored of the Lord. And not only are we highly favored and loved by God, but God desires Jesus, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to be conceived in our lives. Each of us 
Each of us. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, Mary, but what about you? In the same way that Mary was to conceive Jesus, where she would be overshadowed by the Father, and the Holy Spirit would come upon her, and that which would be formed in her, conceived in her, would be the Son of the Highest, the Savior of the world, the wonderful Counselor. So we, we who have believed the word of the Lord, we who have received, we have been overshadowed by the favor of the Father. The Holy Spirit has come upon each one of us and Jesus now dwells in each of us. I have got the wonderful counselor in me. You have got the wonderful counselor in you. Should we look at any of us as ordinary people? No. You, like the stars that are enveloped with the light and power of God, you have the wonderful counselor in you. You know, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe we're looking for the wonder outside. You know, in the lights and all these things, when the wonder is living inside of us. Paul would say to the Corinthians, you look for God outside. You want a sign. But I am telling you that God is mighty in you. The wonderful counselor lives in each of us. That's glorious. That's enough to leave you wondering all the way till Christmas. Communion reminds us of this truth. The truth that he who is the wonderful counselor Jesus, the Savior of the world, has taken up residence in us by his death. He has purchased our salvation. He has made us the inheritors of his wealth, of his prestige, of all that belongs to him in heaven. He has made us the righteousness of God. It was by his blood and by his body that he purchased it. So he wouldn't just be with us, but that he who is the wonderful counselor might be in us. As you come forward today, as you take the elements of our Lord's life and sacrifice for you, I pray that by the Spirit of God, you would give in to the wonder of the one who lives in you because of the Father's love, the Holy Spirit's presence, and his own sacrificial work on your behalf. May God make this Christmas more wonderful through the presence of the wonderful counselor than it has ever been before. God bless you.